Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. It's Trevor. Kellen is here uh, as the co-pilot today. How are you? I'm pretty good. So I just mentioned off air that I'm going to harass you, which is, you know, what I like to do. You're kind of like the sister of, I feel like you're my sister and I feel like I need to give you shit occasionally. So Well, and I mean, I give it right back. Well, that's So true. it's not really a problem. Maybe I don't want to go there, but so we're having this big winter storm come in. Yeah. Yep. I'm super excited for it. Actually. Right? Like 15 inches maybe? Yeah. It's been overdue. Now, what part of Vermont are you from? The snowy part or the very snowy part? <laughs> Probably just like the the mid-range snow part. Like, but we yeah. were the people in high school that my town was 19 miles from my high school and we couldn't get to high school, but the high everybody around the high school was fine. Because you were in a valley. A, in a yeah. valley and yeah. you needed to get on the wooden sled to get to yeah, your totally. high school. Yep. And your father was out chopping wood and then carting you on the sled, right? Yeah. School wasn't a priority. So to him, this, <laughs> this would be like a yawn, like 15 yeah. inches is nothing. Yep. You tough Vermonters. I love that. <laughs> You're not a stranger to the snow is what you're No, saying. and I bet when we get 15 inches tomorrow, they're going to get three feet. Okay. So it's fine. God bless you, Vermonters. <laughs> we have two men who are with us today on the show who are no strangers to snow either. We have Michael and Colin Farrow, the Farrow brothers from the mountains of Colorado. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. How's hey, it yeah. going? <laughs> I love how Michael always gets in first. Colin's like, <laughs> you, you, can, you can tell who's older. so michael and colin farrow michael's the two-year older brother how old are you michael uh 36 okay my math's not great but i guess that means uh colin's 34 ish yeah well i just like that when their oldest person is still younger than both of us so significantly but anyways (laughs) so the farrow family uh founded operates uh epic experience so epic experience is a nonprofit. They offer free adventure camps for cancer survivors. So think like whitewater rafting, uh, cross-country skiing, hiking, sitting around a campfire, you know, like strong coffee. Like that's the vibe that I get from Epic Experience. I haven't gone on one of their camps yet, but I absolutely am going to. So also just really an opportunity for people impacted by cancer to make deep connections and in some cases to redefine what they think of as possible in their lives, which is amazing. They do a bunch of other stuff that I, I'm not going to get into right now. Maybe we will later, but... All of this stemmed from Michael's battle with a brain tumor and testicular cancer. And we're going to dig in that story a little bit. But first, what I want to do is what I do best, which is stir the pot with these two. So which one of you is the favorite child? Well, it's got to be it's got to be the middle child, right? I mean, I, I have, you know, I have so many different little you know issues as a middle child that I just I need some attention because, you know, I don't get it all the time. Yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, the middle child, you know, he also is the one that went to go work with mom which we can get into that later too. But I'm just saying, you know, I think there's points there as well, taking stress off of her and her day to day. So we can keep going on this, but obviously it's probably me. Man. So yeah, we call Michael, this do, do you want to rebut syndrome. that? No, we, okay. no, I have no rebuttal. It's clearly middle child syndrome and I will leave it at that. Well, then I'll let you answer the next better question, which is who's the more handsome brother? 
Oh my! Still the middle child. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'd say Colin, Colin uh, on on his best days, he, he might have it for me. Oh, he, Colin looked very shocked by that answer. It, just his face was like he, he's gonna he's gonna live on that one for six months at least. That yeah, might I be remember, the first I, admission. Know, even though I, I, we're not on video, I did do my hair for you guys today, so oh, I am trying sorry to, to miss good for that. someone. <laughs> I'm wearing my 23rd hat, so I, I have not. See, and Tre- Trevor, I'm more like you. My my wife yells at me for my hat collection because it's too much. I I always joke that I've. I have two opportunities in which I won't wear a hat. And so this is where I won't say the handsome piece these days. And that is if I get my hair cut that day, I promise to keep the hat off and holidays outside of that hats on. (laughs) So what was the brother relationship like with you two growing up? Is it mostly competitive, mostly supportive, a mixture of both? And, and how did that evolve over the years? Let's go to Michael first on that one. Uh, I would definitely say, I mean, uh, definitely a mixture of both. I mean, um, I mean, growing up, I mean, Colin and I, I mean, I'd still consider Colin my best friend. You know, I think, um, you know, growing up again, we definitely have had a competitive um, edge to to both of us. Kind of you name it. You know, I I will say that Colin's always been and I'll admit this, Colin's always been a little bit tougher than I I have been. Um, So when it came to wrestling, Colin always found a way to. find the cheap shot to, to either put me in <laughs> chokehold or again, completely debilitate me. So I will say that, um, tougher or sneakier. Cause that just yeah. sounds like, <laughs> yeah, sneakier might be a better way to put it from a competition standpoint. Uh, we'll bring up golf. Colin and I both started playing golf at the same age. And to this date, I've still never been able to beat him. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's, there's times where I'll, I'll, start playing really well. And then Colin kind of gets in my head and then kind of takes it from me. And that that's where I fall apart. But yeah, we've always kind of been very competitive with one another, I would say. And we set this up obviously as the segue into your cancer journey, because you know, you're two years apart, your brothers, you're obviously very close. And then all of a sudden, bam, the, the C word hits you. So let's talk about Michael. Let's talk about you a bit here. You, you were 23, I believe yep. in 2007, when yep. you heard the C word, how did you get diagnosed? Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it kind of, I had, well, I had a bump on my testicle, um, and that was in June of 2007. And I remember calling my mom up and saying, Hey, like, I think I got something going on. And, you know, I made an appointment. Just what every 23 year old wants to talk about. Exactly. With mom, mom, right? exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I called her up and said, Hey, I need to make an appointment. And, um, yeah, so she ended up flying out. Uh, Colin didn't go with me to go with us to that first appointment. But then what happened was as soon as we got news of what was going on, my mom immediately called Colin and Colin was the first one out there for the appointment. Just as kind of, a, you know, another set of ears. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of I mean, from there it was, you know, Colin kind of came in and, and, you know, we kind of started our journey through that. But it was, you know, my mom was, again, that first person with the appointment. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, even to backtrack a little bit further, yeah, you know, in February yeah. is when we found my brain tumor a few months before that. And that's when, wow. I mean, Colin and I, like our relationship really kind of, I would say got a lot stronger. Um, I mean, when, you know, when, when I found my brain tumor, it was the night before the Super Bowl in 2007 and in Colorado at the time they were not selling beer on Sundays. So our priority, I went, I went into the hospital at I think around four o'clock, four thirty in the emergency room, and hours are going by, and I'm just looking at the clock, saying, "All right, it's eleven o'clock, it's eleven fifteen, it's eleven thirty. 
liquor stores close at midnight. We have to make sure we get beer <laughs> for the Super Bowl. And finally, come eleven forty-five, I'm like, I don't, I don't see us getting out of here. And then finally, I, I looked at a nurse that came in and said, you know, am I getting out of here? And they're like, oh, we found a growth and a hemorrhage in your brain, and we're going to do <laughs> surgery tomorrow. And I'm like, whoa. And that's where I think again, calling like our relationship really kind of um, got a lot stronger because again, we didn't have our parents there. It was just he and I. Um, so I think for us, like it really kind of that bond of, I mean, he was my rock through all that, you know? And, and so I think mm. that is where our, our relationship almost in a way kind of prepared us for when I actually got the C word diagnosis on top of the brain tumor. So are those two unrelated happenings in your life? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, the tumor came in February, 2007, the cancer came in August of 2007. And then I was just really bored with that year. So in December, I decided to break my ankle in three places. Um, so 2007 was an awesome year for me. Well, you want to hit that deductible. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So at that point in your life, young man, it's kind of, you know, just really getting into adulthood, thinking about everything that's going on for your future. I mean, talk a little bit about the emotions of that time for you. It was tough. I mean, I, I was obviously, I was, I mean, so my brain tumor, kind of the, the timeline, all that, that brain tumor came in February and I was literally just getting ready to, I was going to be uh, graduating that May. And uh, what happened with the tumor is I ended up having to drop some classes. Um, so, you know, I, my official degree says 2009 on the piece of paper, but I was, I was going to walk in May of 2007. Um, yeah. So again, I had to put everything on hold from that aspect. So, I mean, from that, it, it was kind of interesting from a career perspective, again, getting ready to graduate in 2007. And, you know, from there, I, I still essentially started the workforce. I got my first job, you know, working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, uh, did their management training program. Um, they, they give you the incredible. tools to be your own boss. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good movie. That's like about. a tagline. Yeah. Not a sponsor, but we're open to it. <laughs> And, um, so yeah, so from there it was, you know, kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to start my career, start working. And then, you know, literally months into starting my job, I think it was like, what, three months into it. That's when I get diagnosed with testicular cancer. So it, it literally kind of put a stop on everything for me. To me, I had a lot of emotion from kind of the, the why me, I mean, I'm 23 years old and I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm having to think about having to have kids when I'm not even dating anybody. Um, you know, when, when the doctors are talking to me about, well, you need to store your sperm and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there with my dad and he's like, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was a weird, I mean, again, those first few years, I just had a really tough time kind of figuring out like, okay, what is this supposed to mean for me now? You know, at 23 years old, again, a brain tumor and testicular cancer, I had no idea what my life would kind of come to at that point. Um, so, so mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely a tough transition trying to figure out again, what life would look like once I got those diagnoses. First of all, where did you live in the country at the time? And I'm assuming you felt, even though you have close family and your brother and everything else, I'm assuming in some ways you felt very alone right after diagnosis or in that early period. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we were, so we were at Colin and I were in Colorado, you know, we were fortunate that my dad, his job, um, was able, Colorado was part of his territory. So my dad was I, I able to travel out here a pretty good amount. Um, so that was that was pretty helpful. But it's still at the end of the day, it was still calling. And I I mean, the one thing that that, you know, and I, I've had a the, the conversation to me that will always kind of that I will never forget is a conversation that my dad and I had. And I was I was pretty upset one night and 
um, he just goes, Michael, he's like, I understand what you're going through. And, you know, I, I know he was just saying that just trying to kind of calm me down and, and trying to, you know, do whatever he could as a dad, just to kind of understand at some, some level. And I just remember saying, dad, F you, you have no idea what I'm going through. And I mean, that was a right. tough thing to say. Like, I mean, um, a, to, to say <laughs> F you to my dad, um, <laughs> directly to his face was a tough thing to say, but that's really how I felt Fact of like, you know what, like no one knows what I'm going through. I'm 23 years old. I feel very isolated. No one really understands what I'm going through at being a 23 year old being told I have a brain tumor and cancer. Um, especially when you're, again, you're just trying to start your life. You didn't know what dating looked like. You didn't know what your career looked like. You didn't know what, you know, whether you could have kids at some point. So again, it was a very, very, it was a big whirlwind that I was trying to kind of deal with. So, you know, I knew my family, again, as close as we were, it was still a tough thing for all of them to really understand, like, Hey, like, I don't even know how to, how to kind of internalize this and try to kind of keep my emotions at bay at the same time. Absolutely. And you're in that, you you were at that part in your journey where people are coming at you left and right being like, you know, what can we do to help? What can I do to help? And you're just like, I don't even know what I need myself. Like what the, how the hell am I supposed to know what you're supposed to do for me? What you said to your dad, that really captures it because you're close enough that you felt comfortable kind of exploding on him in that way, which probably ultimately was a good thing. It also shows how isolating it can be, even the people closest to you. And sometimes they're the ones that you feel most okay about actually showing that anger to. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because I shouldn't say it's funny. Um, I mean, <laughs> there are, there are a number of situations that I can recall, you know, I'd say in the first few years of my diagnosis that whether it was friends or comments that were made that I would just be like, Whoa, too soon, man. And to the yeah. point that I'm like, sometimes I get really angry that I'm like, to the point that I'm like, I want to punch this guy in the face. My job for yeah. <laughs> co- for college and afterwards is really being Michael's kind of like containment slash bodyguard as far as like a settle, <laughs> calm down, grab him, you know, wrap him up. It's like, okay, it'll be okay. It's good. Yep. But yeah, that was, there was more than a yeah. few moments of those. And, and, you know, as far as his, his F you to, to our dad, it was, you know, he, he did have some practice in his high school years. He wasn't the easiest <laughs> kid. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> So Colin, that I mean, you were also at that time, obviously being the younger brother, you were, you know, very early 20s going through being the support system and seeing him dealing with this. Like, were you seeing these ups and downs kind of from your perspective and trying to figure out how to help? And, you know, what was your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it, it's interesting. You know, Michael mentions that it, it brought us closer. You know, he thinks... I wouldn't say at initial diagnosis, I would argue that. I think it was, from my perspective, it was very difficult because I was with a guy who, yeah, we'd always go out, we'd have fun. You know, we were in our low 20s in college. We were out, right. you know, we expected to be partying and this and that. And like, you know, your your friendships at that time, a lot of times aren't the heart to hearts. You know, when you're in high school, it's okay. Or right. in college, it's let's go out to a party. Let's go here. Let's socialize. Let's do this. And so it kind of was a pretty dramatic turn in which, yeah, I was going to be there. He's my brother. We've been best friends since I was born. But at the same time, it was how do I talk to him, right? And, and that simple thing about keeping a conversation going or, or talking to him wasn't easy on my end. It was kind of trying to navigate it and figure it out. Um, my yeah. way through everything is humor. Um, that's just kind of how I deal with things is trying to kind of sarcastic and little things here or there. And I had to figure that out without stepping over the line, right, to where I was going to frustrate him to then being able to find a way to, to figure out what he needs. And so really I would say, you know, it, I ended up, um, 
dropping a class when he was, at, you know, because our family's still in California, like Michael mentioned. And so it's him and I living out here in Colorado, going to school. We came out to Regis University at the same exact time, same year. Uh, Michael transferred out. I came in as a freshman. So we, I mean, we truly were inseparable throughout our lives. We didn't have a year apart ever. Um, and so, uh, you know, it got to the point then where this diagnosis happens and I'm sitting there going into more, okay, what can I do? Where did he go? Right. Cause I'm trying to talk to him and his, he's just kind of shutting down. And I, as Michael said, I can't understand it. I didn't necessarily know that at the time, but I'm just trying to figure out how to talk to him and how to say, you know, what's going on and, and, and what can I do to help and really feeling like it's falling on deaf ears and not knowing. So I just started doing what I could. Right. And so it was like, all right, let's, uh, you know, again, young guys in college or in college, Michael just graduating. What can we do? And it's like, you want to go get a beer. Michael wouldn't want to leave the house. So I started, didn't want to ask my parents for money because they were paying for medical bills. Right. Understanding that they're strapped there. Michael wasn't working at the time because of his diagnosis. And so I said, all right, I picked up some more hours at work and I would just be like, all right, let's go out and get a beer. And even then we wouldn't talk a lot, but I could tell it's like, I know he needs to get out of the house, right? He just needs something. And so that kind of what was starting it is like, just start these little steps. Um, it was never huge. Oh my gosh, you need to talk to me. We may have one or two of those where it was kind of that um, frustrating, really blow up conversation. But most of the time it's kind of just like, all right, let's get you out of the house. And I wouldn't say it like Sit that. next to each other. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like, let's go get a beer. Let's find some normalcy in all this in which the situation is very hard to find it. So for me, up to cancer, the whole premise, getting men to avoid isolation because some men just want to go into their cocoon. They don't want to leave the house. They just want to, they just want people to leave them alone. But as we know, there's lots of pitfalls with that. So what you were doing, you know, by tackling that isolation issue, even when you're not necessarily even talking about cancer, sometimes, especially when you're not talking about cancer is one thing that I have definitely seen that men need. Men need that. They need, they need that witnessing, just friendship. And, and sometimes, again, it can be totally uh, not tackling the direct issue. I also like that we're talking about anger here because and resentment and some of those bitter feelings that Michael really experienced and probably still does. But I'm sure that they were heightened back then. But I, I like talking about that because we haven't talked about it that much on this show or in general. It's one of those subjects that's tough to talk about because it's a scary emotion for some. But when you get diagnosed, especially at the age and with your diagnosis, that anger is very, it's very real. And it also doesn't have a place to live. Like you don't have, someone hasn't wronged you. Like there's no individual that you can go after with that anger or really do anything with it. It's just life circumstance. Um, So I feel like that's a difficult emotion to deal with. And I guess this leads into my next question, which is, and I wrote this one down. I know I'm getting fancy here with my notes. (laughs) Um, So when tough things like cancer come our way in life, whether we're the patient or the caregiver, as men, we tend to stuff our feelings away or to deal with them in self-destructive ways rather than to really face them and process them. It sounds like that did apply in your situation, Michael. Is that Does that resonate with you a little bit? Um, to be honest, I, I don't, I mean, Colin might be able to answer this a little bit better than I can, um, in a, but I mean, I, I, I don't recall, I mean, I, in regards mm. to being like a, that self-destructive kind of mindset, like I mean, yes, I was, I was, I was very angry. I didn't know where to put it. And, and I think that was kind of where, you know, when I started getting super depressed and my anxiety was just at an all time high, I just, again, I had no idea what to do with my anger. Um, You know, so I would probably take it out on my family, you know, and probably just isolate just because I didn't want to talk to anybody or I felt the guilt of putting my problems on someone else. 
That makes total sense. It was, it was tough. I mean, I, when I got the call from my doctor, when they did the biopsy and the pathology report came back, um, I was actually back home in Sacramento at the time. Um, I was just kind of walking around campus and, and had no idea that I was going to be getting the call that day. And uh, I found myself over in our president, um, who's a priest, um, over by his office. And I had a, a really good relationship with him throughout high school. He was one of my teachers. And um, I, I ended up finding my way to his office and he dropped everything. And I went into his office and, and uh, you know, I'm sitting next to him and he's like, he's like, I want you to close your eyes. Just imagine if Jesus is, is sitting right here with you. What would you say? And my first words, and I started screaming, crying. I said, F you. And I just screamed yeah. it. And, and that's where, you know, I, again, my anger, I think that's where I really had a tough time. Again, like I had no idea what to do with my, with my feelings or where to put them. Um, so like I said, I think there were a lot of times where, again, I was taking out either on my family, um, maybe on different relationships that I had. Um, so yeah, I think it was for me, it was just kind of tough to figure out where to put it. I totally identify with that. And, and I'm wondering how you felt about, it's a process of acceptance. And I don't know that I'm, you know, I'm down, I'm, I'm further down the road than I was, but I think that's probably a lifelong process for us cancer patients slash survivors. But can you talk a little bit about your process of wrestling with that resentment and sort of getting along to the point of saying, Hey, that Michael that I, you know, that former Michael, that before cancer, Michael, I'm never getting that person back. And, yeah. and so now yeah. I got to start working on the new Michael and, and loving that person. And so talk a little bit about that process. Yeah. I mean, let's see. I mean, I'm almost 14 years out and I am still dealing with it and, and, you know, and, and some kind of aspect, um, mm. you know, a, a big thing for me that, that I will probably for a long time have resentment towards is my fertility. You know, I just, I don't know what that looks like. You know, I, I've talked to multiple doctors, some of the top specialists in fertility and, um, you know, I've had all these doctors tell me that I'm going to need a little extra help. Um, I don't know what that means, but you know, whether it's, you know, IVF or I, the IUI turkey baster, um, you know, <laughs> I, again, I, I just don't know what it yeah. looks like now. So I think fertility yeah. for me is, is a tough one. Um, because you know, for me, it's like, I've always wanted to be a dad. I've always loved kids. And, you know, for me at the same time, it's, you know, you throw relationships into that too. You know, I, I will say like, I was married for a very short time and, you know, I was, you know, I, I think for me, I, I kind of got into a relationship for all the wrong reasons. I, I thought cancer was kind of putting my, that was cancer made me want to fast forward life and almost rush yeah. into things a little bit faster. And that's where, you know, I think for me and, and when I went through that process and, and getting married and I was like, gosh, like, you know, and calling, you know, that whole experience, you know, the night before my wedding, I, you know, we call it my party, um, not my wedding. Um, but, you know, it, it was one before, hell of a party. <laughs> it was a great party, but I had a, I had a massive panic attack that I, to this day and, and Colin, we, I don't, I, we weren't drinking. I don't believe we were drinking the night before you and I, but I don't remember a bit. that night. At all. <laughs> and I mean, Oof. I just remember hysterically crying and, you know, not knowing what was going on. But I think I go back to, again, you know, my cancer journey really made me, it, it felt like that I had to force my life to, to, to speed up. And then that's why, you know, I look at relationships and, and, you know, I went into some of that stuff for kind of some of the wrong reasons. Um, and I learned it, unfortunately, the hard way. But, you know, I look back and, you know, I, I think these last almost 13, 14 years, you know, I've learned a lot from my anxiety and my depression and my mental health that I've had to really focus on. 
um, at times really just kind of saying like, Hey, I need to kind of focus on me a little bit too. Um, and, and not, not rush things. Um, I think again, my cancer diagnosis and my brain tumor really made me look at life and say, Hey, I got to rush life now. Um, and, and, and I mean, not to say, I mean, I will say this, like my, my, my diagnosis, I mean, I was stage one, but at the same time, any cancer, it doesn't matter the cancer diagnosis. I think as, as soon as you right. get that, that those words saying you have cancer, a switch gets turned on and says, shit, I got to speed up life. Um, and that's kind of where I felt, you know, in, in regards to relationships and, you know, now, like, you know, I look at fertility and, you know, thankfully I'm, <laughs> I'm with someone now that, you know, is a completely organic relationship that is, is doing really well. And, and I look at fertility and she's also a cancer survivor. So, you know, it just looks at, you know, different aspects and how, again, 13 years ago, I was a 23 year old looking at life saying, Hey, I just got to speed life up to now I've looked at it. Like, you know what, just let life happen how it's supposed to happen. Um, and that's been a, but that's been a tough thing to really try and swallow and understand. I think it's important to note, you know, it, it's with you and, and, and as far as the journey and, and, you know, Michael's used to me speaking, you know, and telling his story a good amount. Uh, but, um, you know, it, truly, I think part of it is, 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 yes, it's that stage one diagnosis you talk about where that's just stage one doesn't matter. It is a cancer diagnosis and that is a life changing and altering thing. But to, 100%. To the reality of it is, is Michael, you know, also having that brain tumor, I personally believe talking to him and a lot of things and going back to when he used to get kind of these blackout headaches when he was 15, 16 and to today, I personally, and I think Michael, you would somewhat agree, but it's, it's, that seems to almost, re, you know, wreck as much havoc as the testicular cancer diagnosis and mm -hmm. the brain tumor is not cancerous and it's a pituitary brain tumor. And so, you know, I think that's part of it is you just unfortunately got hit from two different angles and just that shit, that constant shit storm is just hard to balance. Yeah. And I mean, Colin, I mean, I, you know, he brings up a good point. I mean, my brain tumor, I mean, it's, you know, I obviously, you know, I had brain surgery to remove the tumor and, and, you know, I think, you know, my, my cancer, it was, all right, I had my orchiectomy. Um, and then I had my, my big RPLND on my stomach. And obviously those were two pretty big surgeries. Um, but for the most part after that, it was, all right, I have checkups every six months and then it gets pushed out to a year. So now it's, you know, I'm, I'm 13 years out. So I still do yearly checkups. Um, you know, I still obviously get that PTSD moments when, you know, the night before I can barely sleep when I'm going in for an appointment and doing my blood work and chest x-rays all the way to the moment where, you know, I feel like sometimes, oh, well, if I have a, if I have a, a weird pain in my groin area, I need to go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think the brain tumor is what is, has caused the kind of constant effects, especially from a hormonal standpoint too. I mean, you know, I, I've had to deal with, you know, a testosterone issue um, since even before the cancer, um, you know, where my testosterone, you know, testosterone for a 23 year old kid should be in the range of a four, at least a 400. And I like when we first found my brain tumor, I was an 85. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I've always been an athlete. I was playing rugby at the time. So, you know, even to this day, I mean, my testosterone has still never been able to be normalized. And now with, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to focus on fertility and what that looks like to be a father. Now it's like, well, I can't be on testosterone now because obviously testosterone kills off your sperm. So, you know, it, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of that cash 22 where, like Colin said, you know, I, I do think, you know, my, my cancer diagnosis, it was getting kind of straightforward where again, have your surgeries 
And then, you know, then your yearly checkups, but then the brain tumor has just kind of been the gift that kind of keeps on giving a little bit more than the cancer. <laughs> yeah, man. And we, you know, I'm just thinking all good thoughts to you, man, for the fertility stuff. Like I, I, I hope that everything works out beautifully in the way that you want it and you're able to have kids and grandkids and, and all that good stuff, man. Um, Thank I want to circle yeah. to, uh, to Epic experience and I, we could keep going for hours more on the, the emotional stuff around cancer, but let's fast forward to Epic experience. Could I get the, just kind of the cliffs notes on how that got started? Our mom's a doer. She can't sit still. So, <laughs> uh, Mama Lou. <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, you fast forward, you know, it's obviously, I think the one thing that, um, you know, Trevor, I know you and I have talked about, and that is, you know, cancer does impact the whole family. I don't care how you slice it. Um, it, it yeah. is for sure impacts the whole family, whether you know it or not. And a lot of times I would say a lot of folks maybe don't know it because their family, it's like, how do you talk about it? Right. Our family talks about all the time, you know, yes, we run an organization right now, um, that is a cancer nonprofit and people see us kind of volunteering, we're working hand in hand on the day to day and we're all a part of it. Our all five members of our family. Um, we do, have, yeah. we have a younger sister, um, as well, you know, we're all involved. So everybody thinks cause they see us, you know, Oh, it's all sunshine and rainbows. And it's very important. Hey, you know what? It hasn't always been. It was very toxic at the beginning. We didn't know how to talk to each other after the diagnosis. We're all walking on eggshells. My sister always said she, you know, finally like four or five years after said she was very angry um, at not necessarily, I mean, at Michael, but the situation because she got to see my brother yeah. and I live our senior years and she didn't. And she, because my parents were out here for his treatments and all that, she was staying with friends. So she felt lost. And so, again, we talk about impacting the whole family, but my mom has always wanted a very big family. Um, she wanted more kids if she could. Unfortunately, her health, she stopped at three. But I think Epic Experience, that creation that she had, that she was inspired to do through Michael's diagnosis, is what has finally brought her to have that big family in which communication isn't always easy. That's why I brought up that, that point, right? But even with our Epic Experience family that we have and all these people of over 500 folks that have been to our week-long camp programs, even more to our one-day programs or virtual programs, it is meant to be a family feel. We are here to support one another and be there. And so it was my mom's inspiration along with another PA that um, we knew through another organization for a while. The PA that helped Abby, she was with us for uh, about the first year and she just kind of realized at 30, she was going back to school and kind of couldn't do it um, on the day-to-day. But my mom was so passionate about it and ran with it. And so it was really, she just wanted to make sure that nobody felt alone in their diagnosis or struggled the way that she saw Michael struggle. And she wanted to make sure she could help support. And it wasn't just Michael's journey. We had a good family friend who unfortunately passed away after a bone marrow transplant, um, but he had his own cancer diagnosis. And uh, he's been gone now 16 years. And so it was also mm -hmm. his journey. Um, that my mom just said, you know what, let's start something for not only young adults like my son, but also, you know, some of our family friends that unfortunately we lost over the years. And Epic Experience was born in 2012. Um, and so it was really just our family talking along with some friend, you know, family friends about what this might look like. And we started with our Pinnacle Experience, which was the week-long adventure camps. The Pinnacle Experience, the, the week-long adventure camps. And obviously with COVID, things are changed. And you guys have done some virtual camps and you are itching to get back out to, to the ranch and, and get back to the in-person ones. And I'm sure that will happen, but you also offer um, other survivorship programs. You've done regional one-day events. You you do online fitness and mobility classes. So you you do have a range of programming. Clearly the, the heart of it is the getting out into the mountains and spending time together. 
And I, I really look forward to that. Um, so Man Up to Cancer is highly skeptical <laughs> of partnerships with other organizations because some of them appear to be much more interested in what's in it for them uh, versus then thinking about what's in it for all of us. And I'm, I am proud to say that we are, Man Up to Cancer is a partner with Epic Experience. We are scheming up a camp experience just for men in the near future. The pharaohs have been great about sharing their online exercise opportunities with the guys in the Howling Place, which is fantastic. So I'm excited about this, you know. I, I and and I have that faith because I've gotten I've gotten to spend some time with you on Zoom. <laughs> Again, this is my Zoom dating profile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Swipe. He loves long <laughs> walks on the beach, you guys. So if, get ready. If only would have known my wife and I were out there in uh, the fall last year out in Maine. So if only oh, we would have known oh, each other really, then. <laughs> uh, so I want to express my gratitude around getting to know you and and partnering with what you're doing because I I am just such a big fan. Also, shout out to Jay Carter. So Jay, also known as Edge, he attended one of your camps in 2015 just fell in love with it and the experience and you guys and he is became your uh, what a tech specialist right jack of all trades <laughs> well my, my my to be completely clear my mom says that jay is her number one son so and, and dad they both agree to that. um so jay is their favorite uh technically as we were asking that question before as the uh, adopted uh son into the family jay but, for the win um, yeah yeah but i mean no jay i mean jay's been remarkable he's much more yes he does our website he does graphic design He's my go-to for IT everything on anything we're working on, but he's been so much more. I and mean, he's – you mentioned going to camp. I think he's volunteered at over 17 or 18 camps by now, um, you know, and so he just wants to be a part of it to the point where, you know what, he, very much where we're coming from, if he can help shed some light from his journey and what he's learned to help others, that's what he wants to do. And we do campfire conversations and small groups at, at our camps and everybody comes away and Jay's – small group, everybody just falls in love with them and loves it completely because he just is so much about the the community and just, again, insightful with where he's been. Uh, but it is a shout out to Jay of how we met. Uh, but, you know, he, he's been remarkable. And we have a ton of volunteers like that that just help yeah. us out. But Jay truly is, I mean, you know, he he can't give to Epic full-time like he would like. You know, he's got his full, full-time day job, but he still helps us out beyond a ton. And he really helps keep us going and keeps us ticking. So I just, you know, huge shout out to him because he is a major part of our team. And for those who want to get to know him, uh, jump in the Wayback Machine because Kellen and I interviewed him for episode three of our podcast. Um, Yeah, we got him early. Yeah, we really, (laughs) (laughs) one of the originals. Okay, we're running short on time. I want to throw you guys into the gauntlet of random questions. Before we do that, though, I need like a 30 second as quick as you can describe everyone gets a camp name people who come to camp get a camp name you guys have camp names i want the quick story on why colin is wingman and why michael is train tracks michael you go first so train tracks became uh i uh so my rpl and d is a big incision from below my belly button all the way up to pretty much the middle of my sternum so it was again one big incision with a bunch of staples so it looks like a set of train tracks so that is where train tracks came from uh, Colin, you, he just trumped you. I'm sorry. We don't need to know your name. No, just kidding. No, just tr- kidding. No, trust me. My name's not nearly as fun and I have to like pull together five different pieces. It was kind of organic wingman to my brother during his diagnosis. Also wingman to my mom, um, yeah. you know, running yeah. the organization. So it was kind of two different avenues in which that made sense. But the big one was I had a hat, especially when I first started with Epic and our grandfather was huge into planes. 
he had a hat and I'm trying to think of one and I'm wearing, I was wearing it at the time. And unfortunately it's broken since, but I still have it. And it said wingman across the top. And my, I have a huge noggin, like giant head type of guy. <laughs> oh, you and, and Trevor are. Yeah. Hey, 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 friends. hey, easy now. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it came to uh, trying to find a hat that fits. One of the only guy that ever had a hat my same size was my grandfather. And so when he passed away, I put that hat on and I knew, I'd seen it in the past and I knew I wanted it, but it's just Damn. a perfect fit. And I was like, so that, that was how the name came to be. That's pretty awesome too. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta is... say. Real, real quick, I will just tell you that uh, not all names are that um, full of wisdom. <laughs> Have that much meaning. Um, we we had another gentleman who uh, came to camp, and um, it was a winter camp, and he had to really badly go to the bathroom, and oh, so no. it pulled over, and then from there his uh, his camp name became Yellow Snow for the rest of the camp. Oh and, boy. Uh, the last so day, not everybody know... gets a super emotional name. Exactly. <laughs> and somehow the last day he found yellow food coloring and sprayed around the entire <laughs> 7W yellow, you know, snow, if you will, throughout. And it's like, if you peed that much, dude, it's not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is time for the gauntlet of random questions. Uh, name the restaurant you're going to hit hard after the pandemic is over. Oh, boy. Uh, I'd have probably, well, for me, Highland Tavern. It's a local uh. spot where my brother and I go and watch um, – Sports all the time. Damn. Go almost every football Sunday, so that'd be mine. Yeah, all I right. was going to say Highland Tavern. Okay, well. so we had the same one. <laughs> well, that's, that's same one. Yeah, that's, that's sweet. easy. That's, that's sweet. That's, if that's it's the same one. Go with it. <laughs> Did you ever have a mullet? And if yes, are you proud of that choice? Oh no, Come on. no. But Colin's son does. Yes, my I have, a, I have a little over a one year old, and I keep telling my wife we are not cutting the back of that hair for a long time. She keeps trimming the front, the bangs so we can see. Yeah, but no, yes. I'm, I'm like, so when you're bringing say, it back. Yeah, when do you get to have the haircut? I'm like, nope, he's good. If you could be any athlete in the world for one event, past or present, who would you be? Golf, Masters, uh, Tiger Woods, in uh, which one do I want to pick there? His first one. <laughs> nice. Man, yeah, go with the youngest you Tiger Woods. You immediately knew that. Yeah, I was going to say, specifically, yes, Tiger Woods Young, before life switched upside yeah. down. I don't want any of the personal life, just between the ropes yeah, yeah. at the event. <laughs> All right, Michael. I'm going to say Muhammad Ali, Rumble in the Jungle. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Interesting. Next level. Yeah. It's been, you know, lately I've been in, I've been into a pretty big boxing kick lately for workouts. So I think that's where that's coming from. Um, well, this is another athletic question. For your baseball walk-up music, are you going to go to rock, rap, country, or other? Other. Well, it's Beyonce. Kinda, They're going to go to Beyonce. It's kind of rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yep, exactly. Colin, do you have a do you have a do you have a, even a song in mind? Your head was spinning there. Uh, no, always uh Simple Man, Leonard Skinner. <sighs> wow. All right, Michael, what do you think? What's your walk-up music? Katy Perry Fireworks. Nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Drop the mic. Um, all right. Do you guys have a celebrity crush? Oh, Carrie Underwood. I got I mean, so, I'm in that camp like, as usual. It's like he's been training for this gauntlet. <laughs> he's just like ready. Uh, I mean, I would probably say back to the day, I'd say Britney Spears, even though she's a little, she, she, she's, she's, had, she's having her own mental health struggles right now, it looks like, but uh, yep. I'd still say Britney Spears. He had about think, four of her posters in his room. I think so Michael's, <laughs> Michael's really letting out his pop knowledge. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I, lo- I loved uh I loved NSYNC and 98 Degrees and Backstreet Boys. Oh, yeah. so I was all about them. JTT Tell all the me way. Why. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm all over I'm here in. like it's a game show and I have to answer each question in three yeah, seconds. Yeah, he's just like ready. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got to get off, but I, I will ask you the most pressing question in Cancer Land, which is pineapple on pizza, yes or no? There is no middle ground. 
Colin, you're up. I will say no. I'm not for pineapple on pizza. I can't say I've never had it. I can't say if a pizza piece of pizza is in front of me, I won't eat it. You're Understood. Not, I will yeah. say. Not, did you it, say yes or no? <laughs> he said no. I think he said no. Okay, but if it's right. if I'm ordering, I will not order pineapple on pizza. Okay. Michael. Hard no. Oh. Michael has won this round because <laughs> Colin said if it was in front of him, he might like a true a true no vote on oh this issue gosh. would would never even entertain it. They would flip that, you know, tray of pizza right over and be like, get this away from me. So oh, yeah. it's well, pizza. I, 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 I you would really to, not even <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. I have to admit. If pizza's put in front of me, I'm going to eat. Oh, backtracking. There he is. Oh, there he is. The brother, but, I would the never, bro- but I'm not going to request it. The brothers converge. All right, you guys. We got to hop off, but it has been a true pleasure. And I hope that this becomes a uh, standing show for us where we bring you back and talk about stuff from time to yeah, time. Yeah, the epic podcast. The, well, and they, yeah. so they are launching their own podcast very shortly, and we'll definitely cross-promote for sure. So, um, guys, it's been great. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open.